All right. <clears throat> Today we're going to um, continue uh, a series. Um, it's an Advent series, but it's been a little different than maybe uh, most Advent series. If you're new, uh, you're jumping in, we're doing um, walking through the book of Ruth. It's an Old Testament story uh, about a couple of women, two women, primarily Ruth and um, her mother-in-law named Naomi. And uh, they live in about 1100 or 1200 BC. We don't know exactly, but they live in this small village uh, called Bethlehem uh, that would many, many years later become famous, but it's not famous when they live there. Um, and we've been reading through their story and in the first couple of chapters we read, I'll just give you a quick recap, uh, we find out that they've fallen on some serious hard times. In fact, it's really a tragic story uh, when you first read what's going on in their lives. Uh, they're both widows, uh, so Naomi's husband has passed away. She had two sons, um, and one of her sons married Ruth, and then uh, Ruth's husband passed away as well, so they're both widows. They're both childless, um, so both of uh, Naomi's sons have passed away. Uh, Ruth was married to her husband for 10 years, and they didn't have any children, so we think they probably couldn't have uh, any children. Uh, so they don't have husbands, they don't have uh, wives, um, and then they've fallen in hard times. Uh, a famine had swept through the land, that's why uh, Naomi moved uh, away from Israel to Moab, that's where she met uh, Ruth, and Ruth married one of her sons. And then they moved back, and um, they've gone through this famine, and they're widows, and they don't have any sons, and then they get back to Israel, and things are difficult there, they're poor, they have no money. Um, for Ruth, Ruth is actually an immigrant. So she's from Moab and she moves back to Bethlehem with her mother-in-law, Naomi. So she's going to come into a situation where she doesn't speak the language and she has no family there. She has no background there. And she's going to be seen as a foreigner, as an immigrant, maybe even a refugee. And many people might even look down on her. And so it seems like everything is going against them. But then last week we read uh, that God shows kindness and that after years, now years of setback and years of tragedy and years of hardship, they make it back to Bethlehem and Ruth goes out one day to pick up grain off of in the fields and this man who owns these fields is named Boaz and he says, you can stay here and I'll make sure there's plenty of leftover grain for you. And in fact, I'll tell the workers of my field to watch out for you and to take care of you. And just when their fortunes start to seem like they're beginning to turn around, uh, the story takes an interesting turn. So we'll listen to that now. One day, her mother-in-law, Naomi, said to Ruth, My dear daughter, isn't it about time I arranged a good home for you so you can have a happy life? And isn't Boaz our close relative, the one with whose young women you've been working? Maybe it's time to make our move. Tonight is the night of Boaz's barley harvest at the threshing floor. Take a bath, put on some perfume, get all dressed up and go to the threshing floor. But don't let him know you're there until the party is well underway and he's had plenty of food and drink. When you see him slipping off to sleep, watch where he lies down and then go there. Lie at his feet to let him know that you are available to him for marriage. Then wait and see what he says. He'll tell you what to do. Ruth said, if you say so, I'll do it, just as you've told me. So she went down to the threshing floor and put her mother-in-law's plan into action. 
Boaz had a good time eating and drinking his fill. He felt great. Then he went off to get some sleep, lying down at the end of a stack of barley. Ruth quietly followed. She lay down at his feet to signal her availability for marriage. In the middle of the night, the man was suddenly startled and sat up. Surprise! This woman asleep at his feet. He said, And who are you? She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Take me under your protective wing. You're my close relative, a guardian redeemer. You have the right to marry me. He said, Yahweh, God bless you, my dear daughter. What a splendid expression of love. You could have chased after other men, younger men, but you didn't. And now, my dear daughter, don't you worry about a thing. I'll do all you could want or ask. Everybody in town knows what a courageous woman you are, a real treasure. You're right. I am a close relative to you, but there is one even closer than I am. So stay the rest of the night in the morning. If he wants to exercise his customary rights and responsibility as the closest guardian redeemer, he'll have his chance. But if he isn't interested as Yahweh God lives, I'll do it. Now go back to sleep until morning. Ruth slept at his feet until dawn, but she got up while it was still dark and wouldn't be recognized. Then Boaz said to himself, No one must know that Ruth came to the threshing floor. So Boaz said, Bring your shawl you're wearing and spread it out. She spread it out and he poured it full of barley, six huge scoops, and put it on her shoulders. Then Boaz went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, And how did things go, my daughter? Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her, adding, And he gave me all this barley besides six huge scoops. He told me, You can't go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Naomi said, Let's stay here and wait, my daughter, until we find out how things turn out. That man isn't going to fool around. Mark my words. He's going to get everything wrapped up today. So as I said, a very interesting turn of events, right? Uh, Last week, I said there was no romance in the story, and there wasn't uh, last week. Um, But things uh, are different this week. Uh, Ruth becomes a wild and crazy woman, right? Um, So let's uh, let's jump back into it, and um, and let me explain to you, because there's some interesting cultural things going on, and we'll walk through it a little bit. We're not going to reread all that. We'll reread a few of the verses, and let me explain to you some of the things that are going on. And then I want to step back, because I think there's a personal challenge in this part of the story for all of us. And you might be thinking, like, what in the world? How would this challenge me? But I actually think... There's a challenge for every single one of us um, in this episode of the story. So jumping back in, in verse one, um, here's what it says. And now I'll read from the New International Version translation. Um, It says this, one day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. So this is huge. Uh, Because here's what Naomi realizes. Naomi realizes that they've made it through a difficult season in their life. They had just come back to Bethlehem a couple of months before, and things were looking bleak. They were poor. uh, Life was difficult. Maybe they were homeless. We don't actually know. Um, And things were looking really bad, but their fortunes have slowly turned around. They've been able to get some food on the table. This man named Boaz seems to be able to, uh, it seems to be taking care of Ruth just a little bit by providing his fields for her to get some food and some grain, but what Naomi realizes is they're not really out of the woods yet. 
I mean, they've got food on the table, but there's not really a future for them. They don't have any long-term security. They don't have any long-term stability. In fact, um, I like the word that she uses here where she says, I must find a home for you. Um, The Hebrew word used for home here is actually a very rare word. It's not the common word used for home. It's a word in Hebrew that's only used five times in the whole uh, Old Testament. And it literally means a place to rest. It's, It's connected to the word for rest. And it means a place to rest or a place to land. In fact, the first time it's used in the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible is back in Genesis when Noah's on the ark and it's the whole world's flooded and he's on this ark and it says he lets a dove go and then the dove flies back because the dove has no place to rest, no place to land, no solid ground to find any sort of stability or life or future. And so Naomi's basically looking at Ruth and she's saying to her, look, these handouts of food and grain are nice for us, but you don't have a future and I don't have a future. And until we find you a place of rest, a place of stability, a home, meaning a place where you can actually land, then you're not going to have any kind of future which in Ruth's situation would have meant a couple of things. The first thing it might have meant was some land, actual land. Again, we don't know if they're homeless or where they're actually staying, but we need to find a place for you to actually stay over the long term and land maybe to work or to find some sort of steady income. But here's really what it would have meant. We need to find you a husband. (laughs) We need to find you someone who can take care of you and provide for you. Because again, remember, Ruth is a widow. She has no husband. She has no children. She's an immigrant. She comes from another culture and another uh, place altogether. And if you have those things in your life and you're poor and you're part of the lower classes, you're not going to make it in ancient Israel. Without a husband and without kids, you're just not going to make it. And that's not a chauvinist thing. That's just life in ancient Israel. And so if you're here today and you're a young woman, you think the pressure on you is significant in our culture to find a husband and you have to have a great career too and find a great job and make lots of money and get married and then have a certain amount of kids by a certain amount of age and then live in a big house. And that's the American dream, right? And there's all these pressures and expectations that are placed on you. If you feel the weight of that, in Ruth's situation, it wouldn't have been an idealized version of a dream or just cultural expectations or pressures placed on her. It would have been the difference between life and death. It would have been about actually surviving. And so Naomi looks at her and she says, we gotta find you a place to land, which basically is we have to find you a husband. And she cooks up this plan for making that happen. We read on, it says this in verse two. Now Boaz with whose women you have worked is a relative of ours. We'll come back to that in a second. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. And then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, what in the world... (laughs) is going on here, right? Because we read that, and maybe, the very, maybe this is the first time you're hearing this story, or maybe if you grew up in church, the first time anyone reads this story, here's what it sounds like to me. Naomi's basically saying to Ruth, like, 
you need to get all dolled up. You need to look good. You need to smell good. Please take a shower today. Smell good. And then you go down there, and when things are getting crazy, make sure Boaz gets a little tipsy, and then slip in and basically seduce him. It seems like that's what Naomi is saying. But here's what you have to understand. Naomi is showing a whole lot of boldness here. Naomi is is offering and suggesting a significant risk that she wants Ruth to take. And this is so different from the Naomi that we've read about in the last couple of chapters because life had been so horrible. Last time we really read much about Naomi, she was bitter and angry and, and, and depressed, right? And for good reason. She was just in this place in life where she couldn't do anything and she had no energy to do anything and she was hopeless, And it's almost as if she's moved out of that and she's finally realizing, we've got to do something. I mean, this grace that we've received from this man named Boaz to give us food has been great, but it's time for us to step up and it's time for us to step out in faith and do something and see if God will respond. And so she decides to take some risks and she comes up with this plan. And uh, here's the plan, basically. She realizes Boaz owns these fields. They're outside of the village. So they're probably a mile or a few miles outside of Bethlehem. And he's one of the wealthy men that owns these fields. And so during uh, harvesting time, they would be working in the fields, collecting all of the barley and then all of the wheat. And the harvesters would come through and they would gather it up and then they would drop it off in a place called the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was this very flat, round place where after it had all been piled up in these huge piles. He, along with some of his workers, would take it and they would smash it or thrash it against the ground and it would separate the kernels uh, from the husk. And so that's how they would harvest all the crops. And so after it's all been piled up at the threshing floor, it would take a few days and he would probably camp out there for several days, basically protecting his investment. I mean, this is, this is his treasure. So he would be out there with his grain camping there. And Naomi knows this. And she thinks maybe this is the one time where Ruth can catch him in a private place by himself one night while he's out there camped with all of his grain. And basically she could confront him and ask him to marry her. And that's really what's going on here. And uh, I know it doesn't sound that way, right? Because it seems like Naomi is suggesting uh, something else. It seems like Naomi is saying to go and sort of make a romantic move on Boaz. And it certainly would have been risky because it could have been interpreted that way, right? I mean, it could have been interpreted uh, by that way by Boaz. I mean, Boaz could be offended by what Ruth tries to do. Uh, Boaz could think that she's prostituting herself. Uh, Boaz could take advantage of her, but Boaz could just use her and discard her. Remember, there's a huge power differential here. Boaz is a wealthy man who is from this village. Ruth is a, a widowed immigrant foreigner, younger, a lot younger than he is. And so there's all sorts of risk and questionable things going on here. There's all sorts of things that could actually go wrong, but Naomi basically says, look, we gotta go for it. It's time for us to step out in faith and do something. Now, why does Naomi pick Boaz? Why does she say, Ruth, I think Boaz is the guy that you need to go after who could potentially be your husband? Well, uh, for starters, Boaz is one of their relatives. Um, We were told that uh, last week, um, when we first were introduced to him, we were told that he is from the clan of Elimelech. 
Elimelech was Naomi's husband. Now, in ancient Israel, uh, Bethlehem wouldn't have been very big. It might have been just a couple of hundred people. So, very small little village. And there probably would have been several clans in the village. And a clan was basically an extended family. It wasn't just the nuclear family. It was a big extended family, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 people. So, Bethlehem would have three, four, maybe five or six different clans in it. So when Ruth goes and starts working in this field, they find out the field is owned by someone who is part of Naomi's clan, her husband's clan at least, which means she's not a blood relative of Ruth. Remember, Ruth is from Moab and Ruth just married Naomi's son. So there's not a blood relationship there and it's probably not even a close relationship to Naomi. It might be a distant cousin or a distant uncle. Um, but when they come back and when Boaz uh, is the one who Ruth finds herself in those fields and she comes home and she says, Boaz has been taking care of me and he's providing so nice. It's almost as if Naomi's, the wheels start turning in Naomi's mind and she starts thinking there might be an opportunity here because he's from our clan. He's one of our relatives. And there's something else going on here that I need to take a minute to explain because it's very significant and will become more significant in this story. Uh, Last week, do you remember we said when, when Ruth goes out to these fields and she begins collecting the leftover grain, part of the provision that God has for her is through the laws of Israel. Because the laws had said you need to leave some grain on the ground for the poor and for the widows and the immigrants and the orphans because God has a heart for them. And so God built it into the very laws of Israel to take care of these people. Well, there's also some other laws that are interesting in Israel, especially as it relates to marriage and to family and to land. And I want to read you a few more verses um, from the Old Testament law. So this is what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. This is all the laws, part of all the laws that God gave through Moses 100 years before. It says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside of the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And the first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. So this was one of the laws related to the responsibility of family to take care of people in need. So specifically in this case, if someone, if a woman's husband dies and she, and and he had a brother, it's the duty of the, her brother-in-law to then marry her and for then she to have children with him. And that way she still has a family to carry on her inheritance, to inherit her land and to take care of her and to carry on the family name. And so it was expected. This was one way the family could rally and specifically the brother-in-law could rally around her and help her out in a time of need. And in fact, it would be shameful if he didn't or the family didn't help her in that sort of way. Now, there was another law in the Old Testament law. And there's lots of different laws that sort of say different things. And so we'll put all these together in a second. But there was another law. It was called the law of the guardian redeemer. Or sometimes it's called the kinsman redeemer. And this is found in Leviticus. And this is why you can't skip Deuteronomy and Leviticus, even though you want to. Um, And it's hard, right? You read all these crazy laws and they don't seem to make sense, but there's situations where they actually apply and they're helpful. And so this is what Leviticus 25, 25 says. If one of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells some of their property, their nearest relative is to come and redeem what they have sold. 
And it goes on, and there's other verses in that passage that are all about this idea of redemption and different ways redemption could happen. Now, this one is more focused on land, and it's focused on inheritance. So when a man or a woman fell on hard times in that culture, and they had to sell some of their land, or else they would become a slave. So they would sell some of their land, or they would go into debt, or somebody would, a debtor would come and take their land from them. It was a right and even a duty for the nearest relative, and that nearest part is important, it was a right and a duty for the nearest relative to come in and be able to buy back that land. So a relative could come in and say, I've got enough money to pay for that land and buy it back. And in doing so, it would keep that land in the family. It would keep that land and they would be able to give it back to the person who had lost it. And it's a way of, they would say, redeeming the land or redeeming the family, or even redeeming that person and this horrible situation they found themselves in where they had to give up this land, but they didn't have to give it up because a relative could come in and rescue them or save them or redeem them by buying this land or this inheritance back from them. Now, we don't know the full backstory of Naomi's life, but it seems like there was some land in her family, and we don't know if her husband lost it when, they, uh, when the famine swept through the land. Maybe her husband lost it at that time. Maybe when her family moved to Moab, they lost this land. Uh, maybe there was creditors that sort of foreclosed on it and took their land uh, away from them, but it seems like, and we'll see this later, that when they came back, there might have been land available to her and to her family, but they didn't have any money. And there was no way they could get this land back. And so in Naomi's mind, as she's sitting there after they've been back in Bethlehem for a couple of months, the wheels start turning. She starts thinking, maybe one of our relatives can help us out in the situation we're in. Maybe someone can come in and redeem us, redeem our future, redeem our family, and help us find a place for my daughter-in-law to land and actually have a future. And maybe Boaz, this man who's been so nice to us, this man who we find out is one of our relatives, maybe God has placed him in our lives for a reason. Maybe he can be that person. And so Ruth, you need to go capture his heart one night and ask him if he's willing to be that kind of person. So Ruth goes with the plan and she does what Naomi says. And I love how it describes how the plan unfolds. This is what it says in verse eight. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet, right? Uh, guys, any of you ever had that happen? Wake up in the middle of the night, Brad, yes? All right, we'll talk about that later. Uh, <clears throat> Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And now Ruth makes her purposes clear of what she's really asking for and what she really desires and hopes and longs for. And, and this is bold if you stop and think about it. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and she's there and there's all sorts of interesting things that he could read into this. But she's taking this huge risk. She's putting herself out there. And she basically asks him, would you be willing to be my guardian redeemer? And I love the phrase she uses. She says, spread the corner of your garment over me. And we could see that very physically, like, hey, can you pull the blanket over me tonight? Like, let's cuddle underneath the blanket together kind of thing. But she's probably speaking very symbolically here. 
Because the Hebrew word for corner of the garment is the same word for the word wing. It can be translated corner or wing. So she's basically saying, would you cover me with your wings. And this recalls the exact language that Boaz had used to her. If you were here last week, when she was picking up grain in the field, Boaz looked at her and he says, you have found refuge under God's wings. He's like a mother hen and he spread his wings over you and God is taking care of you through these laws and through this grain. You've found refuge under his wings. And now she's saying back to him, would you take me under your care? Would you give me refuge? Would you take me under your wings? Would you consider redeeming me and our family? Now, before we read Boaz's response, think about how bold Ruth has been in this story. She steps out in boldness and she decides to leave her home country of Moab and travel back to a country she's never been to a place where she has no family with a mother-in-law who's very angry and bitter. That's bold. She decides to follow Naomi's God and leave her own gods. For all we know, she probably had a Moabite religion and worshiped Moabite gods, but she left those and decided to put her faith in Yahweh, the God of Israel. That's bold. She steps out that one day when Naomi is depressed and angry and bitter. She's the one who says, I'll go find food. I'll go out in the fields. I don't know what I'm going to find there. I could be taken advantage of. There could be violence and all sorts of things. But I will go out there by myself and find food for us. That's bold. And now she's stepping out and she's asking this man, who she's probably intimidated by. She's making this request of him and he has no reason in the world to even listen to her request, but she's asking him. That's bold. And what I think we see here is the story of Ruth isn't just a story of emptiness. It's not just a story of tragedy. It's not just a story of falling on hard times. I mean, that's part of the story. And the first two chapters are all about that. And we focus on that the last couple of weeks. But it's also the story of Ruth in the midst of her emptiness and in the midst of her tragedy and in the midst of her brokenness, still holding on to faith and still being willing to say, I'm going to keep trusting in you, God, that there's a plan in all of this and that you'll somehow take care of me and provide for me. And so I'm going to step out. I don't have much faith. I've got just a little bit. I mean, I just got a shred of it, but I'm going to take some risks and I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to trust you with the outcome. Because I don't know what this man's going to say. I don't know if he's going to be offended. I don't know what he's going to think, but I'm just going to ask and I'm going to take the risk and trust God with the outcome. And I I almost step back and say, man, do we have that kind of bold faith? Do we live out our faith in that kind of way? Do we have, and and faith isn't about quantity. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about the kind of faith. Yeah, I mean, you might just have a thread of hope right now. Like you just might be hanging on, but do you hang on for dear life to that thread of hope and that faith? Are you willing to say, God, I'm just gonna trust you in the circumstance, even though I don't have a lot of reason lately to keep trusting you. I'm gonna keep trusting you. And I know it's scary, and I know you're gonna call me to take some risk, but I'm willing to do that, and I'll trust you. You'll provide for me with the result or with the outcome. That's what Ruth did. 
She was bold, and I think Boaz saw that in her because look at his response, verse 10. He says this, Yahweh bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. He's talking about earlier, he told her, you seem so kind in the way you've stuck with your mother-in-law through all her hard times. And now he's saying, this is even greater. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So Naomi's bold and saying, we got to do something. Ruth is bold and saying, all right, I'll give it a try. And now we're going, to see, we're going to see Boaz be bold because he's willing to say, yeah, I'll take care of you. I'll love you and I'll provide for you and I'll take care of you and I am willing to be your redeemer. But there's a problem, right? Because he immediately after this says, and we won't reread it, he says, but I'm not the nearest relative. And according to all the laws, if anyone has the chance or the opportunity or the right to redeem you, it needs to be someone who's closer to you. And I'm not the nearest relative. In fact, there's somebody else who's a closer relative and it's their duty and it's their obligation. And I would be going against the laws of Israel if I stepped in and took that away from him. And that's where we'll pick up the story next week. What is Boaz going to do about this? He wants to help, but he's not sure he actually can. Now, before we close, um, here's the challenge, I think, the personal challenge that all of us have. Because as I read this story, I asked the question, I'm challenged by the boldness and the faith that Naomi and that Ruth and that Boaz show in this story. I mean, you read what they're doing, and that's the only word that I can use to describe this part. They just seem so bold. And then I back up and ask the question, if anyone were to look at my faith in my life, would they say it's bold? Would that be the one adjective people would use to describe my faith? And would that be the adjective people would use to describe your faith? Would, would somebody, if they came, they, they lived with you for a few weeks in your life and they followed you to work and they followed you and they looked at everything they did, would they then conclude, man, she has bold faith. And he is bold in his faith. Is there anything you're praying for in your life right now that's just bold, right? I and mean, there's times to, where we pray where we thank God for all the things he's done for us. There's times when we pray where we say, man, here's all the stuff that's going wrong, and here's what I'm anxious about, and here's what I'm scared of, and, and all those are good and fine, but is there anything right now that you're praying for that's just bold, that's just risky, that's just, I don't know how this is going to work, but these are my dreams, God, and this is what I long for, and I don't think it's going to happen unless you intervene and do something supernatural but I'm praying for it and I'm longing for it. That's boldness. Is there anything you're doing right now that's bold? Are you stepping out and living out boldness? Like where are you taking risks in your life and, and trusting God for the outcome, knowing I'm gonna take this risk and I could be totally disappointed. I'm gonna take this risk and I could fall flat on my face. I'm gonna take this risk and I could totally fail. But the outcome is not 
what I'm responsible for. God's responsible for the outcome. I'm just gonna throw myself in it. I'm gonna be bold and I'm gonna take risks and I'm gonna face my fears because that's what Ruth did. I'm sure it was really scary leaving Moab and coming to Israel. I'm sure it was really scary that first day she went out in the fields. I'm sure it was scary going to the threshing floor that night thinking, this is the craziest thing in the world. He's gonna think this is a joke. But she did it. And she trusted God with it. So is there anything you're doing right now in your life where it just requires God to show up for anything to happen? You're trusting him at that sort of level. Maybe you're here and um, you feel more like Naomi in chapters one and two. And so a message where you're challenged to sort of have faith and to be bold is really hard when you've had a really difficult year, when things are going really difficult. And if that's where you are and you would say like, yeah, I'm the bitter Naomi or I'm the resentful Naomi or I'm just the angry or I'm the despondent, like that's where I am, that's okay, That's where Naomi and Ruth were for years. And God was still with them. They probably said he was silent, but he was still with them. He was in the background. And if that's where you are right now, may God's grace and peace and presence be with you. But maybe you're coming out of that season and maybe you're starting to realize, I've got to start just trusting in God again. And I have to start having faith again. And I don't have much. I've got like this much, God. But I need to start trusting in you and believing that you're going to be there for me. And that might mean I have to take some risk and I have to step out and I have to act. And that's going to be scary. But I want to have the kind of bold faith that Naomi and that Ruth and Boaz had. Is there anywhere in your life where you have that kind of faith right now? Or do you have a safe and cautious faith? I don't know that safe and cautious are words that should ever describe our faith. So what does it look like for you to have a bold faith? Did Naomi's and Ruth's boldness and faith pay off? Well, come back next week and we'll continue the story. Let me pray. Father God, Thank you for their example. Um, At every step of the way. um, And we know during this season of Advent that there are so many times where we have to wait on you. And that we can't step out and take life into our own hands because when we do that, we have a lot of regrets. And so we don't want to do that, God. But we do want to find in the waiting and in the watching a place of trust and even a time of taking risks. And so if there's any part of our lives as we just pause and reflect and pray in this moment, if there's any part of our lives where your spirit wants to just nudge us to trust you more or to take a risk, would you show that to each one of us? And would you help us in the midst of taking risks to fully trust you and lean into you for whatever the outcome is. I pray this in your name, amen.